Section 60 of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant. Chapter 60. The Battle of Franklin the battle of nashville as we have seen hood succeeded in crossing the tennessee river between muscle shoals and the lower shoals at the end of october eighteen sixty four thomas sent schofield with a fourth and twenty-third corps together with three brigades of wilson's cavalry to pulaski to watch him on the 17th of November, Hood started and moved in such a manner as to avoid Schofield, thereby turning his position. Hood had with him three infantry corps, commanded respectively by Stephen D. Lee, Stuart, and Cheatham. These, with his cavalry, numbered about 45,000 men. Schofield had of all arms about thirty thousand thomas's orders were therefore for schofield to watch the movements of the enemy but not to fight a battle if he could avoid it but to fall back in case of an advance on nashville and to fight the enemy as he fell back so as to retard the enemy's movements until he could be reinforced by thomas himself as soon as schofield saw this movement of hood's he sent his trains to the rear but did not fall back himself until the twenty first and then only to columbia at columbia there was a slight skirmish but no battle from this place schofield then retreated to franklin he had sent his wagons in advance and stanley had gone with them with two divisions to protect them Cheatham's corps of Hood's army pursued the wagon train and went into camp at Spring Hill for the night of the 29th. Schofield, retreating from Columbia on the 29th, passed Spring Hill, where Cheatham was bivouacked, during the night without molestation, though within half a mile of where the Confederates were encamped. On the morning of the 30th he had arrived at Franklin hood followed closely and reached franklin in time to make an attack the same day the fight was very desperate and sanguinary the confederate generals led their men in the repeated charges and the loss among them was of unusual proportions this fighting continued with great severity until long after the night closed in when the confederates drew off general stanley who commanded two divisions of the Union troops, and whose troops bore the brunt of the battle, was wounded in the fight, but maintained his position. The enemy's loss at Franklin, according to Thomas's report, was 1,750 buried upon the field by our troops, 3,800 in the hospital, and 702 prisoners besides. Schofield's loss, as officially reported, was 189 killed, 1,033 wounded, and 1,104 captured and missing. 
Thomas made no effort to reinforce Schofield at Franklin, as it seemed to me at the time he should have done, and fight out the battle there. He simply ordered Schofield to continue his retreat to Nashville, which the latter did during that night and the next day. Thomas, in the meantime, was making his preparations to receive Hood. The road to Chattanooga was still well guarded with strong garrisons at Murfreesboro, Stevenson, Bridgeport, and Chattanooga. Thomas had previously given up Decatur and had been reinforced by A.J. Smith's two divisions just returned from Missouri. He also had Steedman's division and R.S. Granger's, which he had drawn from the front. His quartermaster's men, about 10,000 in number, had been organized and armed under the command of the chief quartermaster, General J. L. Donaldson, and placed in the fortifications under the general supervision of General Z. B. Tower of the United States Engineers. Hood was allowed to move upon Nashville and to invest that place almost without interference. Thomas was strongly fortified in his position, so that he would have been safe against the attack of Hood. He had troops enough even to annihilate him in the open field. To me, his delay was unaccountable, sitting there and permitting himself to be invested, so that, in the end, to raise the siege, he would have to fight the enemy strongly posted behind fortifications. It is true, the weather was very bad. The rain was falling and freezing as it fell, so that the ground was covered with a sheet of ice that made it very difficult to move. But I was afraid that the enemy would find means of moving, elude Thomas, and manage to get north of the Cumberland River. If he did this, I apprehended most serious results from the campaign in the north, and was afraid we might even have to send troops from the east to head him off if he got there. General Thomas's movements, being always so deliberate and so slow, though effective in defense, I consequently urged Thomas in frequent dispatches sent from City Point to make the attack at once. The country was alarmed. The administration was alarmed and I was alarmed lest the very thing would take place which I have just described, that is, Hood would get north. It was all without avail further than to elicit dispatches from Thomas saying that he was getting ready to move as soon as he could, that he was making preparations, etc. At last I had to say to General Thomas, that I should be obliged to remove him unless he acted promptly. He replied that he was very sorry, but he would move as soon as he could. General Logan, happening to visit City Point about that time, and knowing him as a prompt, gallant, and efficient officer, I gave him an order to proceed to Nashville to relieve Thomas. I directed him, however, not to deliver the order or publish it until he reached there, and if Thomas had moved, then not to deliver it at all, but communicate with me by telegraph. After Logan started, 
in thinking over the situation i became restless and concluded to go myself i went as far as washington city when a dispatch was received from general thomas announcing his readiness at last to move and designated the time of his movement i concluded to wait until that time he did move and was successful from the start this was on the fifteenth of december general logan was at louisville at the time this movement was made and telegraphed the fact to washington and proceeded no farther himself the battle during the fifteenth was severe but favorable to the Union troops, and continued until night closed in upon the combat. The next day the battle was renewed. After a successful assault upon Hood's men in their entrenchments, the enemy fled in disorder, routed and broken. Leaving their dead, their artillery and small arms in great numbers on the field, besides the wounded that were captured our cavalry had fought on foot as infantry and had not their horses with them so that they were not ready to join in the pursuit the moment the enemy retreated they sent back however for their horses and endeavored to get to franklin ahead of hood's broken army by the granny white road but too much time was consumed in getting started they had got but a few miles beyond the scene of the battle when they found the enemy's cavalry dismounted and behind entrenchments covering the road on which they were advancing here another battle ensued our men dismounting and fighting on foot in which the confederates were again routed and driven in great disorder our cavalry then went into bivouac and renewed the pursuit on the following morning they were too late the enemy already had possession of franklin and was beyond them it now became a chase in which the confederates had the lead our troops continued the pursuit to within a few miles of columbia where they found the rebels had destroyed the railroad bridge as well as all other bridges over duck river the heavy rains of a few days before had swelled the stream into a mad torrent impassable except on bridges unfortunately either through a mistake in the wording of the order or otherwise the pontoon bridge which was to have been sent by rail out to franklin to be taken thence with the pursuing column had gone toward chattanooga there was consequently a delay of some four days in building bridges out of the remains of the old railroad bridge of course hood got such a start in this time that further pursuit was useless although it was continued for some distance but without coming upon him again end of section sixty recording by jim clevenger little rock arkansas jim at j o c c l e v dot com